Yeah, there, there's not really many jobs where you're not doing something that can't be transferred. Even if you're just working in, a, in an office at a desk typing away all day, then you're probably going to be quite good at, like your English will be at a good level, you might be good at marking homework. There, there's so many, so many things that could go on forever. Welcome to another season of I Taught English Abroad, where we cover a range of topics from the world of TEFL. This podcast has it all, from passport stamps to recruitment, tips for teachers who want to be internet sensations, finding accommodation in far-flung locales, and so much more. Subscribe now so you don't miss any new episodes. We've spoken to loads of great TEFL teachers over our time recording I Taught English Abroad, whether they're currently working, just starting their careers, or reflecting on decades of amazing travels. It's not often, though, that we speak to the people behind these careers, recruiters. As you'll find out, our next guest, Dan Wharton, started out as most TEFL teachers do, with dreams of going somewhere new and a wish to pack up, quit their job and move on. What Dan experienced, though, led him to combine the skills and the job he left behind. Now he's helping countless teachers make their way to China. Stay tuned right to the end of this one, folks. Dan gives us an amazing scoop on visas in China. Here's the story. Welcome to I Taught English Abroad, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Dan Wharton, who, without giving away too much behind the scenes, is a name we've tried to have on for quite a while now. So it's great to finally meet you, Dan. Uh, how are you doing today? How are things? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, Ewan. Thanks for having me on. Um, like you said, it's been a long time coming, but good to be finally doing this. Excellent, yeah, and and now I, I just hope I'm able to deliver my side of the bargain by asking some questions that <laughs> you actually care about. But Dan, you're a bit different to well to every guest we've we've had on, uh, and this episode is going to be heavily focused on the rec- recruitment side, the job side of the TEFL world, which is you know very much your domain. And something that really really interested me before we got chatting today, you worked in recruitment and sales. And then you travelled to India, and this would have been about 2018, 2019, if I'm right. You you became TEFL qualified in 2019. Now, I just wondered if you could take us back to that time. What was it like for you in those days, just prior to quitting your job and, and answering that call to see, you know, what the rest of the world had in store for you? What what was it like just before you kind of got to your point of, right, I've had enough? Yeah, um, good first question to start us off. So my kind of career, if you want to call it that, since graduating university was always working in different sales jobs um, recruitment similar kind of things Um, and I got to the age of 25 Uh, I've been doing the same similar kind of role for about four years Um, and I just fancied trying something a little bit different Um, I was kind of getting a bit bored of the corporate world um, the office life the typical nine to five um and yeah I just I wanted to try something a little bit different um I traveled before so when I finished university I went to Australia for two years um where a lot of these sales recruitment jobs did take place um but I I kind of loved living in Australia and traveling and um when I got back to the UK um I kind of had itchy feet to go and do something again outside of the UK worked in in the corporate world for a few years um back home and then yeah 2018 the end of 2018 uh decided that I wanted to to make a change and try something a bit different just something abroad and and something a little bit different career-wise as well which is where TEFL kind of came up um so I kind of took a a two-month break from everything when I I quit my last recruitment job I went and traveled around India by myself um backpacking met quite a few different interesting people some of whom had done TEFL. Um, TEFL was already on my horizon. It was something I was thinking of doing, but I was still in two minds about whether to do that or, you know, go back to what I'd always known and and get back into recruitment or a sales job. Um, And yeah, it was during that time in India that I I just thought, right, I want to go and do a year, maybe more abroad, do something a bit different and just see kind of where it takes me, whether it could be a, a complete new career in teaching whether it could just be a good experience for a year um, and I end up back in recruitment, which I ultimately have done, uh, or it could take me somewhere else. So 
that's kind of how it came to be. And we've recently written quite a lot about what it's like for career changers, you know, people who need to do something else, and and that something ends up being TEFL, uh, hopefully, anyway, our perspective. But just, I I wondered for for someone who's been through that, how easy or difficult was it for you to say, right, that's enough, I I need to do something else with my life here? Like, was was that an easy decision to make, or did you have commitments that you had to think about? I mean, what was that process like for you, if you don't mind me asking? Um... I'd say it was quite straightforward. Um, like, like I said a minute ago, I wanted to travel. I wanted to go abroad again. TEFL obviously allows you to do that. I wanted to try a completely new career to what I'd been doing. TEFL and teaching was something I'd never done before. Um, and I, I kind of didn't really want to take a step back either. So um, I did contemplate maybe just you know going backpacking again for another year or two, but I didn't want to just kind of then return to the UK back where I was sort of thing. I wanted to go and do something where I could pick up a new skill, new experience, um, and yeah, it wasn't really going to hold me back or anything like that when it came to you know future job prospects and stuff. So TEFL was kind of like the obvious thing that ticked all those boxes. And yeah, the more I kind of started to research it, I, I never saw myself as a teacher. Like when I was growing up and, and at school, I would never have had myself down as doing that. But yeah, the, the research I did and the stuff that I saw online and like I watched YouTube videos of, of people who were teaching in Vietnam and China and it just looked looked quite fun, looked different. And yeah, like by the time I quit my, my last recruitment job, I was just really, really ready for a change from that corporate kind of world. So I'd say it was quite easy for me to just make the leap and and start doing it. And so how, how frustrating was it then that your TEFL journey was cut short by COVID so so early on? Now, first of all, what was it like living and working in China, which was the move that you made? And, and, and what was it like when the pandemic began there? Because you must be thinking, I've made this big life choice, you know, I've, I've done all the research and, you know, by any metric, you picked a great place to go and then all this upheaval. What was your experience like? Just for a bit of a background, I, I moved to Shanghai August 2019 uh, and then obviously COVID struck the the January February 2020 so it was a bit of a frustrating time because I'd just done my first semester I'd just kind of had like a social circle that was quite established I'd got used to teaching I'd improved at teaching like the first month was a bit rusty I won't lie and yeah I felt like I was kind of settling in China I didn't know if it was somewhere I was going to stay longer than a year or two but I I was looking forward to the second semester and then I was actually in the Philippines for Chinese New Year because my my school gave us a bit of time off when the news kind of broke and everything just happened really really quickly all of a sudden my school got in contact they were kind of closing everything was going to go online obviously it was just unprecedented what happened so it was a bit of a weird time like I didn't know whether I should stay out of China like if it was safe to go back at one point I was considering just buying a laptop in the Philippines and teaching online from there for for my school ultimately I decided to head back to China kind of grab my belongings and just head back to the UK with the aim being that I'd be back in the UK for maybe a month teach online there and then once things had blown over which they obviously didn't return to China but yeah it was like I said just a little bit frustrating I was, I was kind of halfway through the year just about to start this new semester and then it it just came out of nowhere but I mean it's it's uh and this is a very very corny segue I apologize for it in advance but you know there's that uh, Mandarin idiom about how crisis and opportunity are the same sort of phrase so you know when all that happened you did get the inspiration to start a recruitment company for TEFL teachers now I just wondered was it was it based in your career experience you know in, in recruitment the job hunting experience in TEFL things you liked or didn't like both of those things or, or neither how did the idea to start Teach English Global kind of come about? I'd say both of those things and a little bit more so the the recruitment jobs that I've done in the past I've always actually enjoyed the the job aspect of it speaking to people helping people find jobs the the kind of sales element that comes to it I've always enjoyed and felt that I was quite good at doing that um so it wasn't something that I was ever going to completely turn my back on I, I was open to returning to that um I think the main inspiration came when I was actually looking for a, a teaching job myself so um I was looking online on different job boards I spoke to different recruiters most of whom were Chinese um, I must have had at least half a dozen different interviews 
the whole process just seemed a little bit strange to me. I don't know if it's because I was just very fresh coming from recruitment in the UK in in quite a professional corporate company. But um, I remember having one or two interviews to go to China where I was literally speaking to people for about 15 minutes and then just being offered a job. And I didn't really know what I was signing up for, um, what information I was given, like whether that was correct, what to believe. Um, and yeah, it was just a bit of a minefield. So during that process, I was kind of, yeah, I was thinking this could do with a, a good recruiter who's actually been there and taught. Um, ultimately, I ended up getting a school that um, was quite a good school. It worked out quite well. Um, I found it through a friend that I actually met in India who was teaching there. Um, and then when I moved to Shanghai and when I was teaching there, I just met so many teachers who had either been trapped in schools that they weren't quite happy with, they'd signed up for a job after a 15-minute interview, similar to the ones I was having. Um, I met teachers who they wanted to leave their school, but they didn't really know how the market worked, what's like the next step could be for them. There was just, yeah, a lot of teachers kind of in limbo. Um, so that's kind of where the idea came from. And it was something that I was planning to explore when my contract, um, my teaching contract finished, which would have been August 2020. Um, and then because of COVID, that kind of got brought forward a little bit. So as I mentioned, I moved back to the UK. Um, I moved back in with my parents briefly um, for what I thought would be a, a short-term stint for a month or two. Um, and ended up staying there for the best part of a year. Didn't return to China because the borders effectively shut. Um, and yeah, just started started teaching English Global from there. So started doing, you know, research, building the foundations. Um, got a few different clients and schools signed up. Um, and yeah, just kind of figured out how I was going to do it essentially. So although COVID was as I said, it was frustrating for many people, like it was awful. Um, the fact that I was back home, not paying much in rent, my social life was non-existent because we were in a lockdown. So if there's ever a time to start a business where you're not going to be earning much money for a few months or a year, COVID was probably the, the right time to do that. That's Yeah, that beautifully introduces my next, my next question because I, I have to ask because this has applications well beyond the TEFL world. You know, there's going to be very few people with this kind of experience and this kind of expertise. What's it like starting a business during a global pandemic? I mean, beyond what you've described there, what challenges did you face in, in particular? Yeah, it was a lot of downs, I won't lie. There were some ups. Um, it, yeah, it was a roller coaster. Um, I was able to do it, like I said, I'm I didn't have many outgoings financially. I was just living off savings. Um, but it was challenging. Um, like there were several times in the first year where I did contemplate just looking for other jobs, maybe thinking about getting back into teaching. Um, it actually took me a year to get my first teacher into China. So I, I had a year where I didn't actually earn really any money. Um, and yeah, it was it was challenging, like, China was closed. Getting teachers in was a nightmare, which we'll probably go into more detail later on in the uh, in the podcast. And I'd never done anything like this before. Obviously, I'd worked in recruitment, but I'd never run a business. So the like the legal side of things, operating a business in China, that was like quite hard to figure out how to do that. And um, the financial side of things, again, was quite challenging. Like I'm not an accountant. I had to figure out you know, what I had to do, how I had to file my books and all that kind of stuff. The website, I ended up building the website myself. I'm not a web developer. So I was basically a jack of all trades for a year, doing absolutely everything. The actual recruitment side of things was probably only 50% of my time. The other 50% was, like I said, building the website, actually figuring out how a business should run um, and all that kind of stuff. So it was difficult. It was very difficult to start with. Excellent. Well, I mean, the fact that we're speaking to Dan today shows that it all worked out and we're going to have some more business insights and recruitment insights from Dan Wharton after the short break. Feeling inspired? Fancy trying something completely new? Well, make your best move yet by signing up for a TEFL course with the most highly accredited provider on the planet. Here at the TEFL Org, we offer a range of online and classroom courses that you can study at your own pace. 
All of our courses include top-of-the-range teaching materials and come with dedicated tutor support from experienced and highly qualified TEFL experts. And what's more, we'll give you money off to do it. Just enter the code PODCAST at checkout to get 50% off any of our internationally recognised TEFL courses. And that includes our best-selling 120-hour Premier Online course. With that code, you'll not only get 50% off, but you'll also get a free lesson plans pack. Within a matter of months, you could be a qualified TEFL teacher out there exploring the world or working to your own schedule from home as an online English teacher. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout to get started. So you were able to get a job pretty quickly after becoming TEFL qualified. And as someone who'd worked in recruitment and sales, I'm just wondering, like, how, how easy was it to make the case for yourself as a, as a skilled teacher? Because those jobs, obviously, they involve ever like selling a product or selling yourself or selling a service. You know, how, how easy was it for you, do you think? Yeah, there, there was definitely benefits having worked in recruitment and sales before. I felt that I was quite confident at interviews. Obviously, I'd helped enough people in the past with interviews themselves. So, um, yeah, I felt like I knew how to present myself, you know, how to sell myself in a in a certain way, how to communicate well. On the other hand, though, the teacher and the academic elements of the interviews, I was really poor at to start with. Like, I had no teaching experience. Um, I'd obviously done my TEFL certificate, but, yeah, I was very, very new to the the world of teaching so whenever I would have an interview where they'd maybe ask me something academic related or you know ask me like a teacher scenario um that confidence suddenly dropped and yeah I would kind of fumble over my words and yeah give an answer that probably wasn't as strong as I'd like um so it was it was challenging um luckily the the school that I ended up working with was a training center so like a, a language school um, and a lot of training centers in China, they'll take teachers who've not actually taught before. So during that interview, there were a couple of questions like relating to my TEFL and stuff, but the the questions were more just competency based and more just, it was more of just like a chat about what I was looking for. Um, I think they were just kind of trying to see what kind of personality I had um, and how I communicated rather than you know, what different teaching theories I knew or how I'd react with a certain topic or subject. Um, So yeah, to answer your question, there was some benefits from the experience I had, but yeah, definitely uh, could have done better with some of the teacher questions, I think. Well, I I mean, we'll go on to the specifics of what makes a really good TEFL job, CV, what makes a good application later on. But in terms of, you know, yourself, and and, and you mentioned, yes, you know, that you were at a language learning school, you didn't necessarily need experience. But what would you say, and again, if 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 it's too personal a question, let me know, but what made your application strong for finding work as a TEFL teacher like, like like you did? You know, what were kind of like the key points where you where you can imagine employers going, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll take on Dan Wharton. Like, what were, the, what were the key kind of strong points, do you think? So, yeah, I think just enthusiasm, communication skills and confidence during the interview. They're obviously three things that are vital in a classroom. I think the fact that I had worked in sales you know a job where there's a lot of communication involved was probably quite beneficial as well um i'd say that's that's quite a transferable skill and yeah i think probably just the the way i ultimately presented myself so i think a lot of teachers out there who are a lot of new teachers out there um who've just done a tefl and, and haven't taught before as long as you can present yourself in a way that students are maybe going to be engaged with someone who can communicate well for a lot of schools that take entry-level teachers that's what they're looking for um because a lot of the the theories the you know the teaching styles methods behavior management that can all be taught to you when you actually start the job um but you can't really teach someone to be enthusiastic or you know outgoing or communicate and talk well that's more of a i guess a personality trait that you'd have to show so going back to i mean we've we've we go forward and back in time in this podcast it's just something we do it's not it's not linear so let's go back again to the start of uh, teach english google you know let's let let's talk about that that time when you're building up the company 
Can you tell us about the first students that you found work for during the pandemic? What was that process like? Because obviously it was so difficult, you know, borders were closed, all that kind of thing. And if you can, just talk us through your first kind of successes. Yeah, the first year, as we've touched on, was a bit rough. There were, in the first year, I'd say there was probably about 25 to 30 teachers that I found jobs for. They went through the interview process, accepted offers, signed the contract. Out of those 25 to 30, I'd say probably about four actually ended up going to China. The first one was July 2021. And there was a variety of reasons. So firstly, the visa process was an absolute nightmare over COVID. The Chinese government introduced something called a PU letter, which was basically like um, an extra measure to sort of limit how many people could enter China. So only about, I would say, 20% of schools were able to obtain these PU letters. So I had loads of teachers who accepted offers, like they got the documents prepared in the home country, and then they were just sat in limbo for months because the school couldn't actually do the thing on their end. And then it was just up and down, like randomly PU letters would get issued for a month, then the government wouldn't issue any for like two months, then it'd start again, then it'd stop. Uh, And obviously a lot of teachers, and rightly so, just got a little bit tired of it. Um, You know, they they kind of had their lives on hold, waiting to go out, not earning any money if they weren't working um, whilst waiting. So there was a fair few who were just like, look, Dan, I can't really carry on waiting much longer. It's been five, six months or whatever. I'm going to look for a new job back home or in another country where the the visa process is a little bit more... um, streamlined should we say a bit more straightforward so that was one of the issues um for the lucky few who did manage to get through the visa process and did get a pu letter the um price of flights was ridiculously inflated so um at the height around around the summer of 2021 um a flight from the uk to china would cost about anywhere from eight to 10,000 pounds for a one way. Um, I had a teacher in the US who actually paid 16,000 US dollars for a one way flight to Beijing. Um, So for the average TEFL teacher who a lot of whom might be fresh out of university or in the twenties, they've not got 10 grand set in the bank to, to just drop on a flight. So there was quite a few who we'd, we'd get to that stage Um, and obviously it's a lot of money for the school to reimburse as well like a lot of the schools I work with they do they do cover or reimburse flights but only up until about a thousand pounds worth or so so uh, we'd get to the flight stage and then they couldn't afford it and there was a few whose visas just kind of ran out or they changed their mind then Um, so those were two of the the big reasons and then one of the obvious ones was just the lockdowns in China so um, I know China handled COVID quite well initially, um, sort of 2020, early 2021, when we in the UK and the rest of the world was in lockdown, everything kind of seemed to be back uh, operating as normal over there. And then everything kind of flipped. So um, I'm not sure the exact dates. I think it was kind of mid to late 2021 when it started to to go the other way. Um, and I had a lot of teachers who, again, they, they'd accepted offers, they were getting ready to go out. And then they were just hearing these horror stories of, you know, people getting locked in apartments for days on end, um, having to do four or five COVID tests a day if you're in China just to get about. Um, all these really, really strict COVID regulations and, and rules. And yeah, quite a few teachers just decided that it wasn't for them. There was a few teachers who's um, like the parents and the family kind of dissuaded them from going, having seen this kind of stuff on the news as well. So um yeah there was a lot of challenges shall we say for that first year 18 months um getting a teacher over all those hurdles and in was was really really tricky um the way I managed to kind of keep the business going mainly was just by working with teachers who were already inside China and looking for a new move because obviously um the visa process and the flight prices didn't really impact them but for teachers outside of China it was yeah bit of a nightmare yeah and uh of course you know to to compound that because this is obviously this is the 
portion of the podcast where things are terrible. <laughs> um, there were some significant reforms to Chinese education during this time. Um, just for the audience, can you can you talk about this and, and how it might change things for you and the teachers you're working with? Yes. So uh, on top of the flight prices, the visa issues, the lockdowns, um, in the summer of 2021, the Chinese government introduced some education reforms, um, which ultimately ended up closing about 25% of the schools that I worked with. Um, so these education reforms, um, to put it simply, um, any school that teaches outside of your typical school hours, so after school clubs or on the weekends, um, they were no longer allowed to teach the Chinese state curriculum. Um, so basically, students weren't allowed to be getting prepped for what they were learning in school, outside of school. Um, this wasn't just for English training centres. This was for, for any subject. Um, but there were a lot of English training centres that had their curriculums with quite a heavy um, portion tailored towards the Chinese state curriculum. So a lot of these schools ended up closing. Um, there was also some rules within the, the reforms to do with like the schedules and the hours that these, these schools could operate at as well. Um, so yeah, a lot of the training centers ended up, ended up closing down. Um, the training centers that ended up surviving, they either already had a, a very custom-made curriculum that didn't actually teach anything that was taught in the schools, um, or they had to change their curriculum. So um, there's several schools that I work with where their curriculum um, is now focused on like more of a drama um, or a debate way of learning English. Um, a lot of them have got like science and geography elements of learning English. So it's it's a bit more interactive, a little bit more fun. And it yeah, it kind of stays away from it just being, um, you know, teaching grammar, teaching stuff that would get taught in the schools. Um, Ultimately, I mean, the education reforms, I can kind of see why the government did introduce these because having been in China as a teacher and seen the amount of pressure that the, the students and the kids are under there, it's not a bad thing that these reforms have come in. Like a, a lot of Chinese kids, they'd obviously have school Monday to Friday. Every night of the week, they'd have a different thing, whether it be English lessons, piano lessons, extra science tuition, um, stuff on the weekends as well. So I think it was kind of to take the burden away from the kids and also take the financial burden away from parents who are ultimately paying for all of these extra curricular stuff. So yeah, that's kind of kind of what happened, but it, it did only impact training centres, so like language schools. Other school types like kindergartens, um, international schools, private bilingual schools were pretty much unaffected. So there's a lot of other school types that TEFL teachers would work in that didn't really feel the impact. But yeah, there, there were a lot of teachers in China who lost their jobs, a lot of school that did uh, unfortunately close. We should say at this point that it did get a lot better and was, you've had a lot of successes, you know, bringing teachers over to China and, you know, we'll, we'll cover where Teach English Global is, you know, uh, in 2023 towards the end of the podcast. Uh, but for now, we're just going to take a quick advertising break and be right back. Are you looking for a weekly guide to what's going on in the TEFL world? Do you want some advice on everything from job interviews to underrated TEFL destinations? Well, the TEFL Org blog has it all. Every single week, we tackle some of the biggest questions in the TEFL industry. Stay up to date with the latest trends in English teaching, find tips to make your next job application your best yet, or get inspired and read about the experiences of TEFL Org graduates teaching all around the world. Whether you're brand new to the industry, or you've seen it all, we can guarantee an interesting read each week. To find out more, go to tefl.org forward slash blog. That's T-E-F-L dot O-R-G forward slash blog. And we're back with Dan Wharton. So we know from the messages that we get that this podcast is a certain percentage of an audience. You know, there are people who have clicked on this podcast title because they, you know, like you were, they were in a job, they're maybe not particularly interested in and, and they want to travel the world, they want to make a difference. As a recruiter, how much joy do you get from meeting people like that and helping them on their, on their journey? Is that like the biggest thing for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the main reason that I set Teach English Global up was just to help teachers. Um, as I mentioned before, like I'd, I'd seen firsthand in China 
the negative effects of of being stuck in a bad school that a lot of teachers, a lot of friends of mine um, had. Um, I obviously saw when I was looking for a job how complicated it could be, especially for someone who's completely new to TEFL, who's never been abroad, let alone to China. Um, So the main reason I do what I do is just to provide reliable, honest advice um, and match teachers up with the right kind kind of fit. Um, like you will sometimes get teachers who are really, really qualified. Maybe they've got a, a PGCE, um, QTS, but they don't really know the the market that well. And they'll maybe end up in a in a kindergarten or a trading centre when they're they're far too qualified for that. Um, and then on the other hand, you'll get someone who maybe hasn't taught before, who ends up working in an environment that's a little bit too challenging or doesn't really match what they're looking for. Um, So yeah, it brings me a lot of joy kind of doing what I do. I meet people from all walks of life. Um, I speak to teachers from all over the place who've, you know, done so many different interesting things. Some of them have taught abroad before. Some have had really interesting careers in other fields. Um, And yeah, it's just good to kind of, to kind of get to know them. I mean, the, the overall process from when a teacher first speaks to me until they actually get to China is usually a good couple of months. Um, so during that time, I'll have regular contact, regular calls with the teachers whilst we're going through the visa and stuff. Um, and yeah, you get to know them on a, on a personal level. Like there's a lot of teachers I've sent to China that I'm still in touch with. Um, loads of teachers who they finish a year and they'll come back and ask me to maybe find them something else or um, they might reach out with some some questions partway through the year if they need any advice or help in anything. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good. It's good to help other people. Um, when I was looking to go to China, I didn't really have that help. I didn't really have the guidance of someone who'd sort of been there, done that. Um, so yeah, it was, it's nice to kind of pass my knowledge on, I guess. In terms of finding that job, you know, what, what do you look for in a, in a CV and what mistakes do aspiring TEFL teachers make when they're writing their CV? Do you think? I mean, it sounds really, really simple, but the first thing I look at is just how professional uh, and how easy to read a CV is. Um, if a CV is nicely condensed into one or two pages, it's got all the clear information you're looking for. Um, it makes just it makes everything so much easier. Uh, it makes the school who are ultimately going to be looking at your CV makes their lives easier. Um, if a CV is really poorly formatted with loads of mistakes, loads of random tables here, there and everywhere, different fonts. Um, it just gives a bit of a bad first impression, to be honest. Um, so yeah, that's that's the first thing, as obviously it sounds. Um, teachers do need to keep their CVs relevant to teaching as well. Um, if you've never taught before, that's not a problem. Let's just say, for example, you had worked in a customer service role and a sales role as your last two jobs. Just in like your, I guess, the description section of your CV when you're talking about your experience, put one or two sentences about what skills you've learned that might be relevant to teaching. So if you're talking about customer service, you could talk about how you had to be patient when listening to customer complaints, um, how you had to communicate well. Um, so yeah, making it relevant to teaching is is obviously very important. A big thing that I do want to get across is that teachers don't need to list every job they've ever done um like sometimes i'll see cvs where it's going down back to like 2003 where they worked in a a shop for a month like it's not relevant it doesn't it doesn't really um you know enhance the cv it's not experience that's going to be useful towards teaching and if you taught 10 15 years ago sure put it in but yeah teachers don't need to list every job that they've done just the most relevant, and if there is anything um, that's directly teaching, um, then yeah, just try and make it sound uh, like there's transferable skills that can go across. Um, And as well, one last point, um, just make it very, very clear that you've got the basic requirements that these jobs are looking for. So in China, you need to have a bachelor's degree, you need to have a TEFL certificate, and a clean criminal record. So um, 
at the top of the CV or on the first page, just make sure it's very clear that you've got those things because um, that will be the first thing that most schools look at when they're looking at a CV. That's that's brilliant advice. And and you actually you used a couple of magic words there, which are my next question. So A, thank you. And B, <laughs> what transferable skills might TEFL teachers in waiting have that they've maybe not thought about necessarily? Uh, so there's, there's loads of transferable skills. Um, I know we touched on my previous experience before. So if you've got sales skills, if you're working with people, um, there's so many things from those kind of jobs that are transferable to teaching. There's communication skills, uh, presentation skills. Like if you do work in sales, you're obviously trying to get people to understand your point of view. That's the same as what you're, you're doing in teaching when you're trying to explain something. Um, customer service skills, like I just mentioned on the last answer, being patient with people, just like you'd be patient with students in the classroom. Um, there's, there's so much like if you're just working with people or presenting or even working in teams um, and communicating, there's a way that that can be transferred into teaching. Yeah, there's not really many jobs where you're not doing something that can't be transferred. Even if you're just working in, a, in an office at a desk typing away all day, then you're probably going to be quite good at, like your English will be at a good level. You might be good at marking homework. There's so many, so many things that could go on forever, but yeah, you just need to look at the, I guess the the finer details of what you've been doing in each job and, and how that relates to people and, and communicating to people. And and in terms of, you know, how to communicate that, that you have those transferable skills, how important are cover letters in the TEFL world, from, from your experience anyway, and, and how crucial is it to personalise each job application that you do? Because that's something that a lot of people forget to do, I think. Yeah, um, being completely honest, I wouldn't say covering letters are that important. Um I would say if you want to make your application more personable and stand out a little bit more, I would just do an introductory video, um, essentially a spoken cover letter. <laughs> um, so most of the introductory videos that I ask teachers to make, usually about 45 seconds to a minute in length, just explaining who they are, a little bit about their experience, You know, mention that they've got a degree, a TEFL, um, and a few sentences about why they want to go and teach in China. That might be because they're fascinated by Chinese culture. They love the food. Um, it might be more teacher-focused. Like they, they really, really think China would be a good place to start a teaching career. But yeah, I would say doing an introductory video is the best way to, to kind of make your application personable. If you do want to make a covering letter, um, don't get me wrong, they're not, they're not bad to do. Um, I would say just keep it relatively short and sweet. Like it doesn't need to be two, three pages long, because most employers, most, most recruiters, um, they've not really got the time to read through three pages to then decide if you want to, they want to interview you. If you look at your CV and they see the, the main bits of information, if they get a nice introductory video, um, then that's usually all that they need to decide whether a teacher's got what they're looking for and they want to interview them. Um, it might raise some concerns or questions that they don't want to clarify, but yeah, typically I'd say that's all that's needed. Beyond introductory videos, which is a new kind of concept, uh, certainly for this podcast, what's one piece of job hunting advice for TEFL teachers that you wish you'd done before you kind of got launched into your TEFL career and then the recruitment career that came afterwards? First of all, and I'm not just saying this because I, uh, I run a recruitment company, if you are brand new to TEFL, if you've never taught a day in your life and you want to go to a country that you've never been, I would at least speak to some recruiters. You don't necessarily need to go through them for your job if you don't want to, but I'd reach out to some recruiters because they will probably be the, the most helpful resource you've got at finding something that matches your preferences. Um, as well as that, recruiters will be able to answer any other questions that you've got relating to maybe the visa process, um, you know, life in China, um, so many other things that, you know, it'll just save you looking up yourself online. Um, and as well as that, they'll help you prepare for interviews. So um, all of the teachers that I help go to China, when I do get them an interview of a school, I'll have like a bit of a briefing call before the interview, just to let them know what kind of questions to expect, um, you know, what the format's going to be. So they're not going in there completely blind. Um, whereas obviously if you go in and do this by yourself, you would be going in completely blind. So 
Um, that's one bit of advice. Obviously, if teachers have got experience and they've been through the process before, then they don't necessarily need to use a recruiter, although it can still be helpful. Um, the other bits of advice, I would say, don't be scared to ask questions. Um, an interview is a, it's a two-way street. So on the one hand, you've got to impress the school. You know, you've got to answer their questions well. You've got to make them think you're the right fit for their their company, their school, the opportunity they have. But on the other hand, they've got to impress you. Like they've got to give you the information about the environment, the curriculum, um, what it is you're actually going to be doing, what the social life is like amongst the teachers, what it's like to live in that city. Um, so don't be scared to ask questions during the interviews because um, you really need to have a good idea of what it is you're going to be signing up for um, and what you're accepting. Um, and if you are wanting to accept a position at a school, don't be scared to ask that school if you can speak to one or two current teachers, um, someone who's actually there doing the job now, who's actually living the life you're probably going to be living in a few months' time. Um, I, I do have a lot of teachers who request this. Um, and once they've spoken to a teacher and they just get a teacher's perspective on how that school is, what life's like there, it really, really puts their mind at ease. Uh, and on top of that, if that teacher that they've spoken to is still going to be in China when they arrive, um, they've got a friend, they've got someone who can, you know, introduce them to other teachers uh, and a bit of a head start socially as well. So, yeah, I'd say they're the the main bits of advice. Amazing. If you've never had a TEFL job before and you're not taking notes right now, then I would strongly advise that you do. Um, and the podcast is actually going to give you a quick opportunity to do that. We're going to take a short break so you can get that uh, pad and pen out. And uh, we'll talk to Dan in a little while about Teach English Global. with Dan Wharton. So Dan, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell us what Teach English Global is all about in more detail. How does your recruitment process work? How do you find people and how do people find you? How the process works, if a teacher is interested in teaching in China, um, there's a variety of different ways that they, they may come across us. Um, all they need to do initially is just reach out. Um, reach out, let us know they're looking for a job in China. What we will do is then arrange an initial call. This will be just an informal chat, really. Um, a chance for me to find out what that teacher's looking for, what their motivations are for going to China, um, any preferences they've got. Maybe there's a specific city that they want to go because they've got a friend there. Maybe they've heard about kindergartens and a kindergarten is the kind of school they want. Um, they don't want to work on a weekend, so they don't want a training centre. Um, yeah, I'll basically go through the preferences and kind of narrow down the schools I'm partnered with, that might be the best fit for them um, and also the best fit for their experience level. Um, what I will then do is talk through some of those opportunities with them, um, send them over some information, some more details, uh, and then they can decide if they want to move forward with multiple or, or one of those opportunities. If they do, um, I then get their application submitted. Uh, nine times out of ten, we get an interview arranged, um, and I will help the teacher prepare for the interview. Um, the interview then happens. Sometimes there can be two interviews, three interviews, um, or sometimes it can just be one. Um, and then, yeah, once that's done, we sort of see where we stand. Um, I have a chat with the teachers and the school, see what the feedback is from both parties. Um, if things are looking good, both sides are happy and a, an offer is made, then I will usually go through the contract with the teacher, answer any questions that they've got. Um, I'll then discuss the wider picture. So go over like what they need to prepare over the next few months before going to China, outline how the visa process works. Um, the schools are, are usually quite helpful with this, but it's primarily me who helps the teachers get the documents in order and everything like that. And then usually a couple of months later, the teacher is on a flight out to China. And then myself or a member of my team will always stay in touch with the, the teachers, especially during that first month, just to check that they're settling down. There's no issues, no questions. And then, yeah, as I, as I think I mentioned before, a lot of teachers will usually reach out 
throughout the time in China just to let us know how it's going. They might have random questions about stuff. But yeah, that's pretty much how the process works. To find us, you can go to www.teachenglishglobal.com. Um, you can either just drop us an email on the email address that's found there, or there is a big apply now page um, where you can fill in your details, send over your CV, um, and then a member of the team, usually me, will get back um, to you right away. And I can attest that uh, Dan is very prompt at responding to emails. So if there's any <laughs> any doubt there, amazing. So in the, in terms of the last year or so, or certainly since you know the the pandemic kind of, I don't want to say ended because you know there are people still with COVID, but in terms of you know borders opening up again and our general kind of consciousness kind of moving on from that how would you describe the changes you've seen in TEFL recruitment I mean specifically you work with China has it been has it become easier to send teachers there in general yeah it has massively so um I mean I probably wouldn't be sat here now if things hadn't changed to to the way that I described them in in 2020 and 2021 um Everything in China now, I'd say, has has pretty much returned to normal and has been like this for pretty much since January this year, 2023. Um, the flight prices are completely back to what they were pre-COVID levels. The visa process is back to what it was um, and is actually going to be getting a little bit easier in November of 2023. It's kind of how it was, which is good. Um, a lot of schools are recruiting overseas at the same um, volume that they were pre-COVID. And yeah, I, obviously the, the education reforms have meant that there is um, less of the, the training centre type schools there, but there's still a massive amount of schools um, for TEFL teachers who want to go to China. Like it is still by far the biggest TEFL market. There's opportunities in all of the major cities. And yeah, it's, it's recovered or at the latter stages of recovering, I would say. Like the, the amount of teachers over there now has gone up massively the last year. I know for some teachers who were going out during COVID, it didn't feel like there was that many teachers out there. I know there's a few who said from a social point of view, they weren't meeting as many people as they they thought they would. But yeah, that's that's kind of recovered as well. And yeah, thankfully everything everything touch wood seems to be going well and, and kind of back to how it was pre-COVID levels. And, you know, as well as being the biggest TEFL market in the world and beyond having job opportunities, it's clearly, China is a, is a country that you clearly feel very fond of. Um, and so people, so for people who are, are planning on considering moving there and teaching there, what would you say are the short and long-term benefits uh, to living and working in China as a TEFL teacher? Even if you're just thinking of going abroad for a year, China is a complete different world, a complete different culture to, to anywhere else that you're going to find. So just going and experiencing this culture for a year is going to be an experience that I'd say will serve you well. Um, you'll meet a lot of interesting people. Um, yeah, you'll see a way of life that's very different to what you might be used to, especially if you're from the UK or the US. Um, but yeah, it's an amazing country. It's got a fascinating really rich culture the food is amazing um at least i think so anyway um and there is actually a lot of opportunity outside of teaching um a lot of teachers who go there who maybe just want to do tefl for a year they can sometimes find themselves working in different fields different sectors um in china it's the second biggest economy so yeah there's there's a lot of options there and for teachers who you know, see this being a long-term career, maybe want to become a, a licensed teacher with a PGCE or something like that in the future. China's a great country to do that. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of schools, loads of different school types. Teachers could go there. They could start in a training center or a kindergarten, get a year's experience, then maybe move to a, a private school, maybe do like an online teaching license, move into the international school setting like yeah, there, there's so many options to kind of move up that teaching career ladder just in China. The salary is obviously very good compared to a lot of other TEFL countries. So I know a lot of teachers who've just gone, done a year, managed to save like a house deposit and come back home to buy a place. So yeah, financially, you'd yeah financially you'd probably be better off. And learning Mandarin is, is obviously a useful skill. Not everyone can do it. If you can learn some Mandarin whilst you're over there, that's something that can be transferable if you do leave China and, and go back home into 
different jobs, different sectors as well. Quickly, just two very, very quick things. I know you I know you know your time's very, very limited, and we're so grateful to have had you on. Firstly, you touched very quickly on uh, changes to the visa in November 2023. Can you just quickly detail those for us and how they would affect TEFL teachers? Yes, of course. Um, so on the 7th of November 2023, China um, will join the Hague Convention. Um, so what it essentially means is that um, one section of the visa process is going to be eradicated. It's going to make things a lot more streamlined. Um, at the minute, at the time of, of us speaking, teachers who want to go to China need to get their degree, TEFL, and a criminal record check um, notarized by a notary public, apostled by their government, um, and then they need to get those documents stamped and legalized at a Chinese consulate or embassy. Once China joins the Hague Convention, that third and final stage, the, the Chinese consulate stamp won't be needed anymore. So it's probably going to shave a good couple of weeks off the visa, um, the visa process time, I would say. Uh, it's obviously cheaper as well for a lot of teachers who are paying to get the documents authenticated. Um, so yeah, that's that's what should be coming to effect pretty soon. That's that's superb. And and just to to finish off, what's next for Teach English Global, and what's next for you? Yeah, expanding into China. Um, things are going really really well at the minute, but as we've mentioned on this podcast, there's been a few uh, a few tough times during the the first year or two of the company. So yeah, the plan is just to keep growing in China. China is a massive market. Um, there's so many schools. There's so many teachers who want to go to China and we only encompass a very, very small part of that so far. So yeah, the plan is just to keep growing, keep working with more and more reputable schools. At the minute, I'd say that the majority of the schools and teachers we work with are TEFL teachers. We are looking to maybe expand and work with more PGCE licensed teachers and, and have more options for them. We do currently have some, some options, but we're looking to expand that side of the business as well. Um, and then who knows, maybe in, in the future, look at other countries, other popular TEFL countries. Um, but yeah, for the time being, China is obviously where my expertise lies, having been there, done that and been a teacher there. Um, so I'm just going to continue focusing on that. Excellent. And we did say there was a happy ending. So <laughs> we've got that there. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Dan. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And just quickly again, can you tell us where people can, can find you? Yes, so www.teachenglishglobal.com or they can email info at teachenglishglobal.com if they want any more information. Fantastic. Dan, thank you again. Cool. Cheers. You've been listening to I Taught English Abroad, a podcast series by the TEFL Org. To keep up to date with every episode, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your streaming platform of choice. And we love feedback so feel free to leave us a review on any platform you like. For more information about the TEFL org or about teaching English as a foreign language in general, head on over to tefl.org. That's T-E-F-L dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.